0: Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. God bless you, it's good to be with you again this week and this month. Thanks to all of you who have uh, taken part in preparing for our big Halloween party that we have at the end of the month. As you know, this is one of our biggest outreaches of the year. We invite all the neighbors, and last year over a thousand people came. And so I thanks uh, give thanks to all of you who have been bringing candy down to our physical location uh, at 804 East Foothill here in Glendora to prepare for that big event. It's a, an event that's free to the public, There's a free dinner, there's bouncy houses, there's carnival rides, there's trick-or-treating, there's uh, all kinds of fun stuff for kids. And some people ask, you know, I've seen churches have harvest festivals before. Why are you having a Halloween party? Well, because your neighbors are not having a harvest, they're having Halloween. And we want to invite friends in our neighborhood to come down on a a holiday they're celebrating and, and learn to celebrate it with the church as a community we're actually following in the tradition of the church, which planted Jesus' birthday on a pagan holiday. Jesus most likely was not born in the middle of winter. He was probably born in the spring. And the early Christians picked a holiday that was already celebrated by the pagans and just dropped their holiday down on top of it and said, we're taking this date away. And what I want to do is take a a party that the world is already having, and take it away and use it for the church. Uh, And I I baptized somebody this year who became a member of our church because the first event they came to was the Halloween party last year. And they, in the course of the last year, became a Christian and were baptized. And so so I'm looking forward to that. And thanks to all of you who uh, have already uh, volunteered to take part in that and brought Candy down for that event. Uh, on that note, starting today and for the next three weeks, we're going to be in a series that's a little bit unusual. Uh, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. We're going to be talking about things like angels and demons. And I want to suggest that if you've got kids at home watching with you right now, this might be a series that you want, might want to send them into the the uh, other room to, to play uh, instead of listening to this. You as a parent are the primary educator of your child, so you get to decide that. But this might be a topic that's a little bit heavy. Uh, for little ears and little minds. And that's just fair warning. uh, We're going to get into what the Bible says about these things. The focus of this series is Jesus. And we want Jesus to be at the center of our lives. We want him to be at the center of everything we do. But in doing so, we need to talk about the things that Jesus talked about and look at the actual things that happened in Jesus' life. And that requires us to talk about some things that may be a little bit unusual to the contemporary ear. So that's what we're going to get into. Here we go. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for calling us into the world to shine through us. And we know that in this world there will be darkness. Uh, there will be things that we are unfamiliar with and unprepared for. And we ask that by your Spirit you would prepare us for the battle that lies all around us. Empower us to take on things that would threaten us, uh, and things that would be contrary to your kingdom. Jesus, by the power of your Spirit within us, uh, send us out to fight the good fight. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So we're going to start with Mark chapter 1, right at the beginning of the story of the life of Jesus in what was probably the first gospel ever written. So right at the beginning, at the story of the life of Jesus, is a story about an encounter that Jesus has that's not your typical everyday encounter. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went to Capernaum. Capernaum was a city beyond which Jesus never traveled more than 30 miles. And when the Sabbath came, so this is Saturday, the Jewish people every Saturday would not work from uh, from sunrise to sunset as they dedicated themselves to worship and prayer. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law in Jesus' day, the Jewish rabbis, would teach like a Ph.D. student with a long list of footnotes and a long bibliography. And what they would do is they would, they would paraphrase or cite other rabbis and say, here's what Rabbi Hillel says, here's what Rabbi Shammai says, and here's what you might think. So they, they have to proof, text, and defend what they're teaching. Whereas Jesus talks about heaven as though he's been there. He talks about God as though he knows God better than anyone else. And so he teaches as one who has authority. Verse 23, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit. Uh, Impure is sometimes translated unclean. It might be unclean in your Bible. And it's the same word that the Hebrews used for food that was forbidden. You might know that Orthodox Jewish people do not eat pork. And it's because pork is an impure, unclean food. It's also a word that's used in the Bible for immoral thoughts, unclean thoughts, or thoughts that are, that are impure, that are immoral. And so this is the word that's being used. It's a spirit which is uh, contaminated and also a contaminant. Verse 24, well, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. When I was a new pastor, a denominational executive, someone high up in the leadership of the church, told me secretly behind closed doors that he thought stories like this were just superstitious ways of thinking that they did in the ancient world before they understood modern medicine the way we do. And this is really just metaphorical and not literal, that there weren't actually demons or anything because that's just silly, he said. Okay, well, let's try to read it that way. Let's see. Just then, in the synagogue, a man with uh, epilepsy cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's not the epilepsy you read about in the medical journals. You can't dialogue with a disease. In the biblical text, demons have knowledge of spiritual things and things about the world that human beings could not have in any normal way. And Jesus actually enters into living conversations with them back and forth. The the text in no way suggests or implies that this is in any way a metaphor or some kind of superstitious uh, meta-reading of what happened. It reports it like it's an actual historical account of what an eyewitness saw. Demons sometimes take power over people or follow people around and and distract them and, and, and bother them and sometimes even hurt people. That's not normal sickness, and that's not how mental illness works. We're talking about something literal here. The idea that this is just ancient superstitious nonsense is actually an Enlightenment way of thinking. The the Enlightenment uh, in the 18th century and so is a time where scholars and philosophers began to demystify the world and talk about God and miracles and angels and demons as um, things that were just children's stories. We know better now because we're enlightened. And and these Enlightenment thinkers took positions high up in the universities and began to teach their worldview to students who then became teachers in lower-level schools and disseminated this worldview throughout the population of Europe. They began to study the, the natural world and to crack it open and to use it for good purposes. The development of modern medicine came out of the Enlightenment Writers like Isaac Newton, who is a devout Christian, actually wrote more about religion than he wrote about science, nonetheless conceived of a world that ran like a clock that had been wound up and set to run on its own, so that there were laws that governed the mechanical world like a, like a, like a mechanism, like a, um, not a robot, but like a, like a, a wound up watch. And, and so God undergirded it, but it ran by itself. And that way of thinking pulled the physical sciences away from theology. And then as science began to develop, as we began to have the the fracturing of the fields of science, physicists and chemists and biologists, they began to study the physical world without any reference to theology. And thus, the Enlightenment way of thinking requires us to look at stories like the stories of the demons and say, oh, there must be some natural explanation here. Maybe we can write this off. Uh, Thomas Jefferson famously published a version of the Bible that's called the Jefferson Bible, in which he removed all the supernatural talk altogether because all he wanted was a list of teachings, a list of uh, moral teachings, of ethical teachings, with none of the, the supernatural stuff in there. The problem is this is the work of a bad historian. This rejects the the blatant story of history. Uh, Historian J.P. Meyer, who I believe was at Emory University, wrote a fabulous four-volume work on the life of Jesus. And in it, he said, any historian, an atheist, Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, anybody at all, has to affirm as just a fact that in his lifetime, Jesus was primarily known as a healer and an exorcist, not a good moral teacher not a religious guru dispensing wisdom, but as a healer and an exorcist. That was the primary way that he was known. In his lifetime, those who encountered him, thought of him, he casts out demons. And that's how a historian has to read this. You can throw the whole thing away, but you can't have Jesus without things like angels and demons. Verse 25, Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, you may not know this about church on a Sunday morning. You may not think about this. But the next time you're in a church, you may be worshiping by yourself today, but next time you're in a crowd at a church, look around, look at the people sit, sitting beside you, in front of you, behind you. You'll realize pretty quickly it's kind of a weird bunch. Actually, you'll see they all look pretty normal. What you can't see is the stories that are underneath the surface. In our church, at Real Life Church on a Sunday morning, there are people there who believe in God, people who have just started to believe, people who don't believe yet, people who used to believe and aren't sure they believe anymore. There are people who've been going to church for decades, and there are people at church for the first time in their lives. Try to write a sermon that hits all of those targets. On top of that, when it comes to stories like this, there are all kinds of backgrounds and experiences. There are people who read texts like this with an enlightenment mindset and say, this stuff probably isn't real. There are people who have had direct first-person encounters with apparitions and ghosts and spirits. There are people who have said to those things, get out. And there are people who have encountered things like this and run in the other direction because they didn't want to know if it was real or not, and they didn't want to see anymore. And a lot of those people sit in a church on Sunday morning with those experiences in their background, and they never tell anyone because they're afraid of what people might think of them. You might be somebody like that. You may have had experiences in your life that you, you could look at and say, that was clearly supernatural, but I'm not gonna go put it on my social media account because people will think I'm strange. I've met all kinds of people who've had experiences like that. I think maybe at least one out of every three people I meet, if not more, has had some kind of direct experience of something that they can only describe as supernatural. And yet we all sit together acting as though it's just a natural physical world and we don't need to talk about things like this. The great Christian writer, C.S. Lewis wrote a book that's sort of about demons. I mean, in a comedic way, he wrote a story that's a collection of letters from one demon to another demon telling him how to tempt human beings. So it's actually a good book of theology written from a comical voice. It's called The Screwtape Letters. And in the introduction, after the book became famous, it made Lewis's name known around the world in 1942 when it came out. Not long after that, his face was on the cover of Time magazine and he was known uh, around the world. Uh, But he writes in his introduction to the screw tape letters Since the book has come out, a lot of people ask me, Do you really believe in demons or not? And this is what Lewis writes. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, meaning the human race, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to have an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. They're just as happy if somebody doesn't believe in them at all, as somebody who is obsessed with them and wants to gain their power. Either one of those is the wrong direction, Lewis would say. So today and over the next two weeks, I wanna talk about these things, but I wanna talk about them not with fanaticism and not with fear, but just with faith. Because that's the way Jesus wants us to approach texts like this. And we approach them not to tell ghost stories, but to make sure that Jesus is at the center of all we do and that we're well prepared for the world that we actually live in. So let me uh, do an overview of the the story of Satan in the Bible before we get into some contemporary stories. Uh, Satan is clearly in the Hebrew scriptures. In the Garden of Eden, the snake deceives Eve and leads her astray. It doesn't call uh, the snake Satan, but The snake is the tempter and the deceiver, which jibes with how Satan is thought of. So it's thought that Satan appears in the form of a serpent in the Garden of Eden. The book of Job has a very clear story about Satan in which Satan tells God, I bet I can make Job fall and lose his faith. And he goes and he puts all kinds of plagues on Job. There are a couple other places in the Hebrew scriptures where people think it refers to Satan, but it's not entirely clear that it does. One is in Isaiah 14 in a passage that's, that's actually clearly addressed, that's talking about and to the king of Babylon, but it says that he's fallen from heaven. And so some interpreters take that prophetically to be referring to Satan being thrown out of heaven. It doesn't say Satan though. Same thing in Ezekiel 28, which is clearly addressed to the king of Tyre. It talks about him being there in the Garden of Eden in the beginning and being rejected by God. And because of that, some interpreters have taken that to refer to Satan, although Satan is not mentioned, and it's clearly addressed to the king of Tyre. I'm of the mindset that that kind of prophetic reading, where you just apply it where you think it goes best, is, is kind of a stretch. And, and it's hard to justify I think people who see Satan in every text tend to be exactly the same people who have an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. Satan, the word Satan, means the tempter. It's not a proper name. His mama and daddy didn't name him Satan Jones. It's a description of what he does. He actually never receives a name in the Bible. Uh, it's like the word Christ. Christ is a title, not a name. Jesus Christ was not the son of Joseph and Mary Christ. It's a title that meant Messiah, the chosen one. In the same way, Satan is a, a descriptor, the tempter. But Jesus actually refers to Satan by the name Satan, calling him tempter. So he essentially takes his role and turns it into a name. Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness when he begins his ministry, and throughout the course of his ministry, Jesus casts demons out of things. He addresses them uh, directly, he gives them commands, they respond to him, and he heals people through exorcism. Then in the end, it says that Satan waited for a time and entered into Judas and caused Judas to go back and betray Jesus. In the book of Revelation, it says that Satan will be cast into a fire along with all of his demons, where they will be. Uh, burned up. There's no question that the Bible sees Satan and demons literally, not figuratively or metaphorically, not as an ancient superstition that we've now overcome. To embrace Jesus is to embrace a worldview in which there are spirits living in the world that are different than human beings. For some people, that's a stretch. Some people have just been brought up on uh, Enlightenment thinking Uh, That was actually certainly my education. I was brought up thinking these things, if they were true at all, were stuff I didn't want anything to do with. And by and large, most people were just kind of hyper-religious and sensitive or obsessed if they talked a lot about demons. And then things started to happen in my life. Uh, When I lived in Hawaii, I got a call to someone's house where strange things were happening, electronics turning on and off, and children seeing shadows walking around in the hallways. I went and prayed for the house and nothing much happened, but I remember being struck by the fact that the family came to church sometimes, but they weren't hyper-religious and they were very rational people. And they were kind of embarrassed to call me and tell me about it, but weird stuff was happening at their house. And since I've moved to California, I've been called to seven or eight houses in the immediate area where things like this were happening. In, in one house, a man who was a staunch atheist, did not believe in God at all nonetheless said he would sit in his armchair and he'd see a woman's face turn around the corner and look at him and then disappear again. I've been to houses where people not only felt breezes go down their hallways, but would hear voices of children in their house. I've been to multiple houses where people saw apparitions or had nightmares that spoke to them in strange ways, and all of these people seem normal to me. Maybe one or two were actually devoutly Christian, but a lot of them were only moderately religious. And they, they just didn't seem like they were attracted to all of this stuff. In fact, most of them were uncomfortable calling me at first because they thought these things were weird. I'll tell you about one in particular. And this is why I encourage you not to have kids in the room uh, for this morning's uh, teaching. Um, this can be a little bit much for kids to take in. I remember being called to a a house here in in this area, and they said some weird things have been happening in our house, and I had been called to houses with that message often enough that I kind of knew what I was getting into. I never go alone. I always take a friend or two who are praying people, Uh, and this one my wife and I went along with a member from a prayer team, and um, we went into the house, and they told us that their, their grandmother had had a brain tumor, and so she wasn't thinking quite correctly, and we walked into the living room and the grandmother was there and she walked up to me and looked at me and said, oh, you're healthy. And I thought, thanks, I think. And as she talked, she would speak words that sounded like they had meaning, but the sentences were gibberish. It was like somebody had taken one sentence, one, half of a sentence off a page and half of a sentence off another page and stuck them together and none of it actually tied together in any linear way. But I thought, well, brain tumors can do that. And so that's just a natural phenomenon and that can stress you out. So if you see that, if you're not used to that, that, could, that can make you think something strange is going on. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll care for grandmother. And so grandmother sat in the room with us as we talked. And I said, so what kinds of things have been happening at your house? And they said, well, uh, we've been having nightmares. I said, yeah, when you have somebody who's got severe medical issues, that causes a lot of stress. That can cause sleeplessness. Nightmares are a natural thing. And they said, yeah, but two of us are having exactly the same nightmare on the same night. And I thought, well, sometimes we synchronize our stories so they match up, even though they were a little bit different originally. And I thought, I'm always going to default to a natural assumption first, because it can be tempting to have an unhealthy and excessive interest in things like demons. And nine times out of 10, it's just a natural situation. And you don't want to, you don't want to hyper-spiritualize it. So I asked them what was going on, and what was going on in their lives, and all seemed pretty normal. We talked for about 20 minutes, and I didn't hear anything particularly exceptional. So I thought, well, this grandmother is sick, and they're stressed, and so I'm going to pray for grandmother's health, and I'm going to pray for peace in this family. I'll pray that they they rest well at night. 20 minutes of conversation or so. And then I said, okay, well, I'm going to pray. Is there anything else you want to tell me before I pray? And one of them looked me dead in the eye for a second and said, well, we have been seeing a little boy run up and down the hallway. And I said, you what? How did you not lead with that? That should have been the first thing out of your mouth when I walked in the house. How did it take 20 minutes to get here? I'm going to go outside and we're going to start over again. You should have told me that at the beginning. And I realized what was going on was they were nervous about telling me. They knew it was strange and they thought. I, I think they were afraid that if they said it out loud, it would make it real. But they were seeing a little boy run up and down the hallways and there was no little boy living in their house. As we talked more then, they told me that sometimes the cabinets in the kitchen would open and close and whatnot. So what I do in these kinds of situations is I just go around and I pray in every room in the house. I pray with my team and with the family. We pray over everything in the house and there's there's never any disembodied voices or lights flickering or anything like that. Actually, because we edited this out, you may, you may not know this. Five minutes into this sermon, the light above my head went out, and we had to <laughs> we had to go fix it. So, um, um, but we pray in every room in the house. There's no smoke, you know. There's no there's no nothing. It's a very calm, quiet, peaceful experience. And after I pray in people's houses, I'll call them a couple of weeks later and say, "How's everything?" And they always say, "It's gone. Nothing happened." So we went through this house praying in every room, and we're just having nice prayers over each room in the house. And then I got the compulsion to ask them a question. And I, in my life, have never asked anyone this question before. And I've never asked anyone since. I don't know why it popped into my head. It's not the kind of thing that I would normally think about. It's, it's not the kind of question I would ask. But I was standing in one of the rooms, and I just felt like I was really supposed to ask this question this one time in my life. And I looked at the father and the family, and I said, Do you have a Ouija board in your house? And he said, No. And I said, Oh. must be in my imagination then. Never mind. And he said, but I did used to work in the factory in Mexico where we made Ouija boards. And I knew the factory he was referring to. And it has a history of weird things happening at that factory, like people falling off roofs and dying. And so we prayed that if anything spiritual had attached to him or followed him around, that it would be broken off, that it would leave. We, We prayed in the name of Jesus, get out. We prayed in every room of the house. A couple weeks passed. I called up. Everything okay? Yep. No more visions of little boy. No more cabinets closing. Everything's fine. And that tends to be the way it goes. Uh, And I want to talk today and in this series about what that is. And I want to talk about it not with fanaticism and not with fear, but with faith. And I want to to say there are four lessons that we can draw out of texts like this one in Mark chapter 1. The first one is the most obvious one. You can't have a dialogue with a disease. This is a literal thing, it's a, a real thing, it, it's, it's not a natural thing that the ancients used to explain in different terminology. In fact, if you read modern day medical journals trying to describe phenomenon like this, it is outlandish. The links to which they go to try to create A natural vocabulary to describe phenomenon like this. I'm talking about mainstream secular medical journals. I've gone and read the articles in my curiosity about this, and I was reading this one about people hearing voices of children talking, and they call it auditory hallucinations, auditory hallucinations hallucinations in your ears and we don't know why it happens and we don't know when it happens and we don't know what part of the brain it comes from and we don't know why it goes away. Absolutely no explanations, but they came up with some naturalized vocabulary about it so it didn't sound like a spiritual thing. And frankly, when you look at the two explanations side by side, the spiritual explanation makes a lot more sense than the natural explanation, which sounds like biased guesswork. This shouldn't be a stretch for Christians to believe that this is literal, that this is not figurative, that in the biblical worldview, there are angels and demons. God can create different species. He creates human beings with the power to choose to do good or evil. And then he creates other species like cats and dogs. And maybe they don't have the power to do cho- choose good or evil. Dogs seem like they're always good. They just are. They don't choose. And cats, well, anyway, God can create different species, and some species, like human beings, can choose to do right or do wrong. Angels, according to the teachings of the scriptures, are messengers created by God to serve God, but created with the power of choice. And just like human beings, some angels can choose to do wrong, to run in wrong directions, to do evil things. And that's what demons are. They're angels that have gone the wrong way. That's the biblical worldview. It's nothing It's nothing hard to conceive of, it's just a different kind of species. But the Bible without question, particularly the stories of the life of Jesus, talk about these things in realistic terms, not figurative terms. Secondly, the primary goal of these things is to distract us from Jesus. They are to pull us away from the kingdom. And here they don't have to do it by hurting us or scaring us. Uh, In fact, I've met families who've said, yeah, grandma's ghost still lives in the uh, attic upstairs and we hear her sometimes and we're, we're glad she's there so we welcome her to stay. And what they do is they create an alternate spiritual reality which takes the place of God in their lives. So they don't feel any compulsion to go looking for the God who is because they've settled for spirits. And as C.S. Lewis says, the devils are perfectly content with a magician, with somebody who will believe in them and maybe trust in their power or look to them for things and use that to replace the story of the God who walked the earth and died for us on the cross. Because we are only saved through the cross of Jesus. We are called to follow Jesus because he is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So these, these spirits, these beings, their primary goal is to distract us from Jesus. Thirdly, Realize that Jesus has absolute authority. He says this at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, in the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So now go out in all the world and make disciples. All authority already belongs to Jesus. We don't have to worry about whether or not these things might have power over us because all power belongs to Jesus. The best way to think about demons uh, here in this month of October as we head into Halloween the best way to think about them is to think of them like a spoiled two-year-old child throwing a temper tantrum. And when a parent tells a two-year-old child who is throwing a temper tantrum, go to your room, they can fuss on the way, but they're going because they don't have the authority to say no. The parent has all authority. And if the parent tells the child to go to their room, the child is going to their room. And when Jesus tells the demon, get out of this this person right now, they may come out with a shriek, that's their temper tantrum, but they're coming out because all authority belongs to Jesus. So we have very little to fear because there's nothing in the world that has power over Jesus. He has power over all things. And then fourthly, Jesus lives in you. When you believe in him, he puts his spirit in you and with his spirit comes his authority you have in yourself the authority of Jesus when you believe in him. And that means when you say in the name of Jesus, get out, you have all authority to do so. The demons cannot argue with you because you have the authority to tell them to leave. This is the basic, plain, straightforward teaching of the scriptures. You can't hold on to Jesus without having a biblical worldview, and this is a biblical worldview. When you believe in Jesus, you have the authority to say to unclean things, in Jesus' name, get out. And then you want to think of them um, a, a little bit like rats. Uh, rats are attracted to garbage. And imagine you have a pile of garbage like out, out in your garage and it attracts a bunch of rats. And so you put out rat traps and you kill all the rats and they're dead, but the garbage is still there. Well, before too long, it's gonna attract more rats. Jesus says this himself, if you cast out a demon, seven, seven more will come to take its place. You have to get rid of the garbage if you want the rats to stop coming. And so some of us need to take an inventory of our lives and say, where's the garbage in my life? If you've gone through one problem after another, and it sometimes feels you may have even said the words, maybe I'm cursed, you might want to stop and think spiritually about what that implies. It might be time to say, if there are any unclean things in my life, or in my home, or in my car, or in my workplace, in Jesus' name get out have all authority to say it and they have to obey. And then if there's garbage in your life, if there's, there's sin in your life that's a mess, that's garbage. You need to get rid of it so it doesn't attract them back again. If there's places in your life where you know there's something that Jesus wants you to hand over to him, but you're holding on to it, you might want to get rid of it before it attracts more rats. And one of the best ways to do that is to find a good, trustworthy Christian friend that you can share it with and say, here's what I'm struggling with. Can you pray with me? Can you, can you help me as I overcome this? And we need to be good about receiving those kinds of confessions from one another. where We're grace-filled when people tell us what's going on in their lives, where we don't condemn them or pounce on them, but instead we help them overcome because they're just trying to get garbage out of their lives so they're no more rats. And that's a good biblical approach to these kinds of things. This is, a, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Once you invite Jesus into your life, once you have the Holy Spirit in your life, this is what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, imagine uh, a room in a hotel and it says there's a vacancy, right? There's an empty room. And then somebody goes and rents the room and they move in. They, they turn off the light or now the, now the light switches and it says no vacancy. The room is full. You can't stay here. When we cast unclean things out of our lives, we create a vacancy. We create an empty room. We want to make sure we invite the Holy Spirit in to fill that space in our lives, because when the Holy Spirit moves in, it puts up a sign that says, no vacancy, and then nothing unclean can come in. So we ask Jesus, Jesus, come into our hearts, come into our lives, fill us with your Holy Spirit, chase unclean things away, and then help us overcome the garbage so that we can be pure and holy, and set free. We're going to be talking about this for the next two weeks after this one. There are deeper things I want to look into with you. As we go through this series, consider whether or not there are places in your life that are a distraction to you that you don't need. Some of us really need to just speak into our lives and our homes. In Jesus' name, get out. And then stay away from things that are going to distract you or that are going to give you an unhealthy and excessive interest in unclean things. Um, I have a, a personal um, beef here. Uh, there's a there's an amusement park in Southern California called Knott's Berry Farm. And every Halloween they do something called Not Scary Farm where they deck it out for Halloween. That in and of itself would be no big deal for me. Disneyland does the same thing. They deck it out. But Knott's Berry Farm has leaned into... Open embrace of portrayals of the satanic and the sadomasochistic. And I won't let my kid go. And honestly, if you live in Southern California, I would encourage you not to go either. I'm not in favor of boycotts and the cancel culture. I think that's all obsessive. But I think what they're doing there is not funny. And I think it's incredibly unwise. I think it's opening a door that attracts in garbage. And if you do that, even in play, you can get things in your life that you don't want there. So that's mine. That's my personal shopping recommendation for the month. This is what we're going to do in the coming two weeks. We're going to focus in on Jesus. We want Jesus at the center of all we do. And we're going to embrace a biblical worldview in which we recognize that there are things out there that are not what you would call normal, that an enlightened mind has rejected because just superstitions from long ago. But if you believe in Jesus, you have to admit these things are real, and it'd be better to know how to deal with them than not. Because imagine a a, a linebacker who, or a, 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 a yeah, a linebacker who gets the gets the football, a running back who gets the football and is about to head into a, a row of of uh, linemen to try to get the ball downfield, but as he sees the linemen in front of him, he's afraid because they're big and there's a lot of them. And so, what he does is he covers his eyes and he goes barreling into the line, hoping it all works out with his eyes covered. Well, a lot of us approach spiritual things, especially things like this that are a little bit spooky, by saying, Well, I'm afraid of them. So, as I I charge at them, I'm going to cover my eyes and see how it goes. And I don't want us to do this. I want us to go at the world with open eyes, believing that Jesus has all authority in the world and that his authority rests in us. And as we take on the battles of the world, the spiritual battles of the world, with clear vision, we will triumph. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.